This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Your on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on the Twitters. <laughs> and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. I hadn't done that in a while. I figured I'd throw a wrench in That's there. That's true. You did throw it a wrench. messes you up every time. It, so. it does. It does. <laughs> it does. Anyway, welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. <laughs> We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com and find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. And you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And if you want to help support the podcast, you can now do that with a nice new donate button that I put on obs- uh, Um A.K.A. prostitute button. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a simple <laughs> link. You just click it and then you can go make a one-time donation or monthly recurring donation via P- uh, PayPal. Um, uh, yeah, via PayPal. And, you know, it's as simple as that. And I think you can also just use regular credit cards, which, you know, I mean, if you're in the giving mood, that would be great. Um, <laughs> it is that time of year. It isn't, but, uh, yeah. <sighs> well, it's, it's gonna be. Right. <laughs> or if you don't want to do the donate button, you can also go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Or if you don't want to actually spend money, you can just leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. So, on this week's episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking about TV neighbors. Word. Yes, and that is very exciting. Um, however, before we do that, we have some general housekeeping and feedback stuff and self-promotion stuff to do. Just really quickly, um, one is that here in October, October 14th, at the Irving Theater, we're going to be hosting Shocktober in Irvington 3. Um, that is a one-night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers, and we're going to be raffling off prizes. There's going to be DVDs, um, Blu-rays gift cards to Irvington businesses, a lot of fun stuff. And it's always a blast to do it. And, um, this year, I think, uh, I got word from, uh, Pat that they are, they've finished writing the first draft of their short film that they're going to do. Awesome. Pat and Tyler from the nerds you're looking for podcast and Matt quiet from nerds domain also reached out to me about potentially doing a short film. So, We're going to have a lot of good stuff there. We're also going to premiere JPLX's new short film, The Roman, and also Intruder 3 from Snapshot Productions. So it's going to be a blast. And I kind of buried the lead here, but tickets are on sale right now. Um, Yep. Yeah, at shocktoberandirvington.com. It's going to be a blast. Um, second notice that I have, that we have to make is, uh, we had an iTunes or uh, not an iTunes, but uh, yeah, an iTunes review giveaway mm-hmm. thing that we kind of did a half-assed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, I'm pleased to announce that friend of the show, Tony Troxel is the winner. He's going to win a $10 Amazon gift card when I get paid. Very cool. Um, yeah, he had a nice, very nice review and, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Indiana geeking. Um, yeah, so congratulations, and you will get your iTunes, your Amazon, I keep saying iTunes, <laughs> your Amazon gift card soon. Um, and finally, I was a guest on Submitted for Your Approval, an excellent Twilight Zone podcast. I joined host Brandon Cruz to talk about the season one episode, Execution, and I had a really good time doing it, and I highly recommend checking it out um, after you check out my Solo Side Project podcast, reviewing the Twilight Zone called Anthology at anthologypod.com. So... Having said all that, 
Do you want to postpone the subject a little bit, the topic a little bit more to do news? Yes, let's do it. Okay, nice. I switched around on the seat. Anyway, nice. You look like you were about to say something before that. No. Okay. I wasn't. Okay. Nice. All right, cool. So I only have a couple news things to really bring up here. One is that I, I posted some pictures to your, uh, I sent you some, some pictures from, uh, on, on to messenger. What did you think of those pictures, tiny? Uh, they that were, sounds so much dirtier than I thought. It yeah, would be. it really did. Yeah. It really. I was gonna say something, but uh-huh. trying to keep my mind out of the gutter. Yeah, they were so hot. Jesus. <laughs> no, uh, because Idris Elba looks really hot in a duster in the New York City heat. Yes, uh, we are of course also talking. a little dirty. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. We are not. <laughs> we are not doing well here. This is digging a hole. Right. Um. To clarify, I shared some pictures that surfaced of Idris Elba on the set of the Dark Tower movie as Roland Deschain filming an action scene and ah oh, this movie's happening this he movie is, is happening he's literally slinging a gun right which is the title of the first book of the right. Dark Tower series the gun oh, yes. for those who don't know right and it's so amazing to me to see the to see these images yeah and I have to tell you, Tiny, I've been very vocal. How would you characterize me regarding, like, people looking up information about the production of movies? Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Okay. <laughs> or, I don't know, something to compare you to. But, mm-hmm. um, easily perturbed. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I'll put uh-huh. it that way. <laughs> Okay, so foot in my mouth. Um, <laughs> every time I see images or articles or um, little tidbits of information about this movie, I I get it's like a kid on Christmas morning. Yeah, it's so cool. I've seen there's some there's some images that have surfaced that have, are of the set and like the implications of those to what this adaptation is are just mind blowing to me, and it makes me. If I wasn't so excited for this, I would be nervous about how they're handling it because they're clearly picking things from different things. But, oh my God, this movie, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Tiny, what do you think? Me too. Yeah. And I told myself I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to hang on every article or Mm -hmm. every new set photo that was released. I told myself I wasn't going to do that. And of course I violated it. Um, this has just been such a long time coming. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, you and I are relatively, new fans to it there's some people who've been reading this series since the 80s Mm -hmm. so i mean this is a long time coming for a lot of people um and i mean we we each read the series at pretty much the same time and Mm -hmm. we finished that what seven years six seven years ago maybe oh man has it been that long maybe five i want to say five or six yeah wow five or six but yeah i mean and we immediately once we started reading it, we were like, this will be a great movie. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see what they're going to do for the series right. or whatever. Like, you know, like we immediately started having those conversations. And so mm-hmm. we've spent, our, I would say, hours going on a full day talking mm-hmm. about this series. I would, no, I would, I would go so far as to say days. Oh, days, really? You have to keep in mind, Tiny, we work together. <laughs> yes, we did. You think eight hour shifts, <laughs> about four to five. Four to six of those were spent just talking about the stuff. Yeah, that's true. Multiple, multiple weeks. We both read the we read the series over the course of maybe a year. Mm-hmm. It's it's days of our lives. Yeah, tiny. you're probably right. Yeah, it's... the bold and the beautiful. I don't <laughs> know why I threw that in there. I'm nice. so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's so 
I'm so eager to see how it ha- how it turns out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I don't know. We'll always have the books, so if it sucks, it sucks. But right, it's freaking Idris Elba, though. I know. Yeah, so great. So the set pictures and all the news and all all that stuff has been very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And uh, yeah, do we have any more about the dark? Well, we do, but yeah, we do. Yeah, let's save that for another day. <laughs> That'll be another day. Yeah. 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 So our last piece of news is actually kind of one that I can- I want to talk about because it's. It's kind of irritating me a little bit. Um, so Variety and like the news outlets just generally, this one's from Variety, posted that the new CEO of MoviePass, which um, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I I advocate for MoviePass pretty hard because I, back in I think December, I basically was like, you know what? I can, I'm just gonna buy a year's worth of movie pass. <laughs> which for those who don't know, movie pass is where you pay a, you pay a fee of, um, in our area in Indianapolis, it's $30 per month. And for those $30 per month, you get a debit card from movie pass in which you go to the movie theater, check in on the movie pass app on your phone, you select one movie and then you go in, pay with that debit card and you get into the movie. And you can do this once every 24 hours. You can't repeat, you, you can't like see the same movie twice. Um, or whatever. But if you see a lot of movies, as we are prone to do, hosting a podcast called The Obsessive Viewer, um, it pays for itself really, really quickly. And it's really easy to just go see a movie every day after work. And it's really, it's really satisfying and amazing. Um, so anyway, um, all that is going to come crashing down apparently because, <laughs> um, MoviePass recently they appointed a new CEO. Um, this guy, Mitch Lowe, who I believe he is one of the co-founders of Netflix, I think. Yeah. I read that right. Yeah. So I'm just going to read briefly from, from this variety article. Okay. Quote, MoviePass's service, which costs between 30 and $40 per month to see an unlimited number of movies has failed to firmly establish itself. It's, uh, remains more of a niche offering than a national phenomenon. Lowe believes that the price point could be a stumbling block. He plans to experiment with a tiered system of packages, starting as low as $20 per month for access to a smaller collection of movies and extending to roughly $100 for unlimited films in 2D, 3D, and IMAX formats. He said, quote, We need to experiment. Not every package will meet all the people's needs. End quote. Uh, this week, MoviePass began sending mem- members in certain locations billing information for new services, some of which amounted to a price increase. Users in Los Angeles, for instance, were told that the new monthly prices or the new monthly plans included a $50 package for six 2D or 3D movies and a $99 package for unlimited movies in any format. <sighs> Tiny, you haven't you haven't been able to. You haven't you haven't gotten Movie Pass, have you? I have not. How do you feel as an outsider about this news that they might be changing the pricing plans? How does that make you feel about the service after I've been <laughs> talking about it to you nonstop for like six months? I mean, I saw it coming. It was inevitable, really, because there's, I mean, forty dollars a month, even in, I mean, in, in Los Angeles, that's that's four four movies, right? And there's probably people who see that in four days. And so I mean it's just it was just an un, unattainable or an untenable mm-hmm. um process so I mean I kind of saw it coming but 
That's, you know, that's really, really true. <laughs> in fact, I actually wrote in a long email to the Slash Filmcast just because they they talked about something on one of their shows just in, in passing about movie theater experiences or something. Um, and I talked about it. They didn't respond or say anything on it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> no, but my whole thing was, I like, I'm... I've been struggling to figure out how they can, how this business model can sustain itself because it's, like you said, it's 30, 40 bucks a month after four movies, it pays for itself. And part of that is like they have this, they've done studies where it proves that that, that gets more people into the theater during off hours than it would otherwise. Um, without movie pass. So, and, and it's proven that it, it increases, um, uh, concession sales, like some obscene, like 110% from wow. what theaters normally have. Hmm. And that makes perfect sense. In fact, I just saw a movie a couple days ago, and it's funny because if you have movie pass, if you have movie pass at the price point now that it's at, um, and you have like an AMC Stubbs, uh, Stubbs reward thing, um, each each payment of each card or each each ticket counts toward your AMC stubs. So technically, you're not you're only paying the thirty bucks a month. But if you see ten movies, you get a hundred dollars worth of movies on your stubs account, which gives you ten dollar credit mm-hmm. on stubs. <laughs> which I went and I got like I got food and a drink when I saw a movie for free because I had I had stubs award, rewards accumulated. So nice. anyway, all of this is to say, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe MoviePass isn't sustainable or anything, but the idea of them having like losing that unlimited amount which that irritates me because i mean okay part of the allure of it is having that unlimited amount of movies that you can see or that unlimited quality to it i would have never seen a good chunk of well not a good chunk but well yeah probably a good chunk of the movies i've seen so far this year in theaters if it wasn't for movie pass and just the fact that i could mm-hmm. and like if i have to if i have to basically restrict myself to like, okay, I can only see X number of movies in a month, then that's going to completely defeat the purpose of it for me. And, and furthermore, <laughs> um, this idea of them packaging in IMAX and 3D movies, I, one of the, one of the things I like about MoviePass is it doesn't count toward 3D or IMAX movies because I don't want to have to spend, I, like, I don't care about that. I don't care about, like, IMAX or 3D unless I'm, unless it's something that I really am adamant about seeing. I'm not gonna go see Tarzan in IMAX, um, because MoviePass will let me for a hundred dollars a month. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, lo- I love seeing just regular movie theater experiences and I don't know. It's, it's troubling to me to see how it, um, will go to, going forward and i <laughs> it really um irritates me that i spent four hundred dollars for a year of movie pass and if it changes well i guess i'm only i'm only over i'm over halfway through that subscription but if it changes and like i lose like the last two months of it because their plan changes drastically then i will be very perturbed i would think you'd be grandfathered in because you I would hope you so. paid that money as an agreement towards something right so that would be a a violation of that if they change that for you. But right. I mean, it sounds like you can still, based on that, it sounds like mm-hmm. you can still do unlimited movies, but the price is just going to go yeah. through the roof. And I mean, yeah. I, I think it makes sense. And it's, I haven't been using it. So again, I'm seeing it mm-hmm. as an, as an outsider. Right. I can understand you're frustrated. Right. Um, and I'd be frustrated too. 
Right. And okay, so $99 for unlimited movies in any format. That's one of the ones that he pitched um that or that's one of the ones that were that were in the email to people in Los Angeles and, and some other cities. $99 for unlimited movies in any format. Okay. I paid $400 for a year of unlimited movies. Mm-hmm. So to have to pay a quarter of that for one month is a big a big thing when I'm not yeah. going to be patronizing the larger formats or 3D formats mm-hmm. hardly at all. Like we just had a conversation about how I turned 30 and my eyesight is already seeming kind of weird. <laughs> I don't want to have to watch, you know, 3D movies. It it is like a ridiculous jump going from, you know, if you're paying $30 a month, yeah. you're unlimited to like that probably be, I don't know, right. with the new package it'd probably be four or five movies a month. Like that's that's not really worth it. Right, exactly. So yeah, they I think they'd be losing a ton of their base. Yeah, and also I'm coming at this from just a consumer perspective. I know literally nothing about the business side of it for them. So I know that they just recently appointed this new CEO. For all I know, they could be just hemorrhaging money. Yeah. And they could be in severe, severe trouble. Yeah. And maybe this is what's causing this big thing. That's just conjecture on my part. Cause like I said, I don't know a damn thing. Right. And who knows but. how much, how much money they're for, for like if you go see a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and you're technically paying $10 for it. Right. How much are, is, movie pass paying to the theater? Right. Like, are they paying the full price of the ticket? I would imagine maybe they're not. Yeah, but, I don't know. I mean, if, huh. if they're, are they paying half the price? They're paying 80% of mm-hmm. it? Are they paying nine out of $10? I mean, like, what, right. I mean, it depends on what that is. That's a huge factor that we don't know. Totally. Absolutely. So, so, um, but the point of, I think the point of all of this is I've grown accustomed to a lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want it to go away. Yeah. So anyway, that's our news segment for this week. Um, let us know what you think about, um, the Dark Tower and, uh, and Movie Pass. Uh, obviously you can tweet us or email us or do whatever you like. Yep. Um, yeah. The information for that can be found at obsessiveviewer.com where there is now a donate button. Hey. Intent. I'm going to be insufferable for that from now on. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this week's episode, Tiny. What are we talking about? We're talking about uh, TV Neighbors. Yes. So the career of Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors television career. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally a that Matt was, joke. That was good. I, I did appreciate it. It wasn't that was good. good. It was a Matt joke. Do you know what I did? Wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, both of, to both that joke and to you, I say... Nay. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. You went there. I did. Wordplay. Anyway, so anyway, if you're still listening, <laughs> the, um, so I want to kind of talk just a little bit about the impetus for this pot, for this topic, for this podcast. Um, first, <laughs> I have, okay, I have on the notes impetus for the topic, the monsters are due on Maple Street and July 4th dicks. Yeah. So, Tiny, do you want to talk about your neighbors for just a second? Oh, my God. I, I posted a rant to Facebook, as us millennials are wont to do. Because <laughs> um, on New... Uh, I'm sorry, on uh, 4th of July, um, you know, that was a Monday. And I had to work the next day, because next day was Tuesday. And uh, I, it was like 2.30 in the morning, almost 3 in the morning. And my damn neighbors were still shooting off like mortars and Jeez. bottle rockets. And like, I, I, I am, I'm a very light sleeper and I could not go to mm-hmm. sleep. And I had to be up at 7.30 in the morning. So I was like, yes. Like I went out on my balcony and yelled. <laughs> uh, I, I was an old man. 
uh, that night. And then Tuesday night, they were doing the same thing at like 10 o'clock. And I was like, nope, uh, nope, I'm going to call the freaking cops. Geez. I was so mad because I, I just needed sleep. Wow. And people suck. I uh, I had a similar experience. Like I, I heard distant fireworks um, mm-hmm. all through the night. Uh, the night of the fourth, I just pretended that I was an alternate 1985 from Back to the Future Part Two, where oh it's all um, <laughs> where it's all grungy and everything. Um, anyway, so that was one of the that was one of the things that um, kind of propelled this topic into our into our uh, consciousness for talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and the other one is as I mentioned, the monsters are due on Maple Street. So okay. I swear this isn't, yeah, this is gonna feed right into the plot, but I just wanna say, I have been, I've had, um, Anthology, my solo side project podcast, where I'm basically going through the Twilight Zone as a first time viewer. I've never seen the show and I'm going through it episode by episode and I'm reviewing it as a first time viewer. I've had this ep- this podcast for almost a year at this point, but I've only released like 14 episodes at this point. So episode 17 of Anthology is going to cover Episode 22 of the first season of The Twilight Zone called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Tiny, have you watched this episode yet? I have not. Okay, so um, I'm not going to give anything away. I just want to say really quickly that while watching The Twilight Zone, like watching watching The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, I'm going through it, and it's like I'm... It, it wasn't until I reached The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street that I thought... I kind of wonder if this podcast is going to be about me discovering one of my favorite shows of all time. <laughs> because, oh my God, this episode alone is freaking, it's, it's, I'm only in the first season of a, of a five season show. I'm 22 episodes into a 156 episode project of the Twilight Zone. And I don't know if I will, I don't know how there can be a more important episode of the show than the monsters are doing Maple Street. Wow. Yes. It plays with so many themes and topics that resonate even today, especially today, but they were written under, they were written as, um, um, analogies or, or, uh, metaphors for Cold War and McCarthyism and the blacklist, all of these things that Rod Serling went through and, and experienced, um, and saw firsthand. Like it went into this episode about these neighbors who are all, it's this amazing, it's this amazing, um, piece about groupthink and fear and paranoia and, it's it's one of the most it's one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. So look forward to my review of that in, <laughs> on anthology at anthologypod.com. That'll be episode 17 here in a few weeks. But anyway, well, and the great thing about Twilight Zone is that mm-hmm. it's not like linear. So like right. each it's, episode is standalone. It is an anthology show. <laughs> so I mean you can just Oh, if absolutely. listeners want, just go in and watch that episode and listen yeah. to your review, which I might do. Yeah, please do. Watch ahead and, and look at that. Please do. Please yeah. do. It's like seriously in this, like we're not we're not a political podcast or anything, but like there are th- events in the world that watching watching this episode will resonate with you because of events in the world. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my soapbox for it. Watch the maple mo- the monsters are due on Maple Street. Avoid the 2002 remake like the freaking plague. <laughs> um, it's got Titus Welliver. Okay. And it's, uh, it's set in 2002, 2003. 
turns it into a terrorism fear thing. Oh. And it's goofy. Why, listen to more of my thoughts on Anthology, episode 17. Um, okay. Yeah. So anyway, so that is our introduction to this topic. We are working off of a set list of eight uh, neighbors mm-hmm. in, in the uh, television realm. Uh, Tiny, I've been talking a lot, and I'm afraid that I'm losing people's attention by uh, promoting my <laughs> side pro- side project. So go ahead and, and bring us into the next one. If you say anything about the secular perspective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Secularperspective.com. Um, Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, I think in order to move on to the topic, we need to get a little bit more power in here. Uh-huh. As uh as uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor was wont to do on a little show called Home Improvement. Yes, that's the second time I've used the word want. Um, <laughs> um, I loved Home Improvement when I was a kid. We, me and my brother watched it all the time. Nice. One of those after-school things or whatever. Um, and on the show, almost I think almost every episode, uh, Tim would go up to his fence and talk to his tall neighbor, Wilson. Nice. Um, and... I always loved those moments because, you know, Wilson's, I think the neighbors and in, in shows like that kind of have this, like, this, this sage-like kind of quality to them or like a, they're the voice of reason. Totally. You know, and that's, that's common amongst, um, amongst shows like this, especially sitcoms. Um, it keeps, it keeps the episodes and the characters grounded mm-hmm. and it's, it, but it's always mixed in with comedy, you know. It's always it's it's kind of a respite from the ridiculousness, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it still maintains the comedy. Uh, and Wilson was always was always that for the show. He always had some goofy hobby going on, like oh, I'm painting African masks from whatever, <laughs> or some goofy hobby, and it'd be silly. But like I said, he was always the voice of reason for Tend the Tool Man Taylor. Totally, totally. Yeah. And we never saw his face, which never saw his mouth, never saw his mouth. That's yeah. right. And, uh, that always, that kind of drove me a little crazy as a kid. Did it? It did. I don't know what it was. It was just like, like I was, I think part of it was I was fairly young at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was that I kind of, I think my, my brain kind of thought like, what's wrong with his face? <laughs> like, why don't they, is he so deformed that they don't want to show him on television? Um, That's funny. Yeah. So when I grew older and I, um, discovered IMDb, <laughs> that was one of the first, uh, the first things I looked up. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. But yeah, he had this just, like you said, I'm going to just, um, basically regurgitate everything you just said <laughs> no uh, i like him as a sage voice of uh voice of sage wisdom mm-hmm. for tim taylor um especially when the show is so concentrated on tim being pretty buffoonish in his antics yeah and not to its detriment at all not to not um not not to the show's detriment or anything not not to cast a negative light on his performance or anything because it worked really well for the show mm-hmm. but you needed that kind of that kind of sage sage guide um to counter the buffoonery and like where like the the whole concept of the show basically rested on Tim being Tim and then everyone around him kind of reacting to Tim being Tim whether right. it's his kids his wife Al anyone it's like kind of like he was the center and then once he once he interacts with wilson this is all from memory i haven't seen it in a long time i actually yeah. almost bought it on dvd oh really yeah at uh half price books oddly enough huh. but um shut up 
Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but once once uh, once Wilson like entered into the scene, you kind of that's when you dispel the kind of moral themes of the episode, or or you get that guidance or the the basically the moral of the story that's being told. And I really appreciated that because mm-hmm. um, it was a really really uh, organic way to bring about the um the moral center of the story. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of it was hidden behind the shtick or the the um what's the word? Uh, the gimmick. Right. of him hiding his mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. Um which was fun. I remember there was an episode where they went into his house and oh, yeah. his they kept his mouth covered the whole time. He would like step in front of a plant or something. I wow. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's only one episode where they did that. I might be wrong though. But I, I remember that episode fondly because I'm like, oh, oh, we're going to show his face. And they never did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I remember when Mike was on the podcast. Who's our, who's our co-host who's on sabbatical from the podcast? He's coming back, I swear, right? I um, hope. Anyway, um, he, like, he talked about he and, how he and his wife were watching um, Home Improvement lately a lot. This mm-hmm. is fairly recently. And just hearing him talk about it made me really want to go back and watch it. Yeah, me maybe, too. Yeah, maybe really wish it was on Netflix, but mm-hmm. maybe eventually I'll pick up the DVDs. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and bring us into the next one. Absolutely. Awesome. So this is kind of one of the one of the quintessential neighbor characters in all of television Um Basically, and that's more because this, this television show in itself is an institution um, in itself, but, uh, Ned Flanders. Oh, yeah. From The Simpsons. You can't talk about TV neighbors without talking about Flanders. And one of the best things about that character is how, how just straight laced he is in, in, um, contrast to The Simpsons and other Springfieldians. Cause he is this super religious, um, God fearing character who is so out of touch with reality. <laughs> and it's such a joy to see an episode that's centered around Ned Flanders for me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. And one of the things that always struck me about The Simpsons itself is that whenever it poked fun at religion or whenever it had religion at the center, it was never mean spirited. Right. And that's one of the things that endears about it as well and endears about the Flanders characters themselves. But Ned in particular, like there are some really great episodes centered around Ned. There's one in particular that I absolutely love. Um, it's called Hurricane Nettie. Um, <laughs> do you remember this one, Tony? You, I don't. You never really watched The Simpsons, did you? I, I did, but never. I Only in syndication. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So Hurricane Nettie is an episode where there's a hurricane that, that comes to Springfield. And it's it's really it's kind of awesome because um, no one's prepared for it. So um, I think like, like Homer's in a hammock or something. And then uh, Lisa figures out, because she's smart, she figures out that there's a hurricane coming. So she warns Homer. And then he's like, no, there's no, there's no, there's never been a hurricane on record. And then like, there's some piece of dialogue where it's like, well, yeah, but the records only go back as, as far as like 1976 when, uh, when the entire town was swept away in some, in some mysterious high wind thing or whatever. <laughs> I'm butchering it, but it's, it's just that kind of, that kind of humor is just really well done yeah. and well executed in The Simpsons. But anyway, so in that episode, Flanders is home. Uh, Flanders is, um, Homer always refers to the Flanders as the Flanders is, 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 um, anyway, Flanders home in the Simpsons in that episode and Hurricane Nettie gets destroyed. And it's such a great episode about that character because he is such a 
friendly and unassuming guy that when the entire town, like his house is the only house that gets destroyed. And so he has this crisis of faith. He has this, he, like, he wonders why God has forsaken him, all that. And, uh, and so the, the whole town tries to rebuild his house for him. And it's just, no one knows what they're doing. So it's all completely <laughs> shoddy. And so there's this brilliant breakdown that Ned has where he accosts the entire town and he just goes through everyone and it's just like he goes off on them. It's, it's so great. Like, uh, uh, like there's, there's some examples where he just points to people and he screams at them. Like, uh, like he points at Krusty and says, Oh, there's, there's the clown. He's the only one of you. He's the only one of you guys who doesn't make me laugh. And he talks to about Lisa and he's like, uh, it's like, oh, what's the Is that the sound of Buddy in? It must be little Lisa Simpson. Uh, <laughs> Springfield's answer to a question nobody asked. <laughs> oh and my then, god! Yeah. Oh, and the best one is he he points to Mo and he's like, "You are a, uh, you are in, you are an ugly, hate-filled man." And then Mo just says, "Hey, hey, hey! I may be ugly and hateful, but I'm not." What's the third thing he said? <laughs> Oh my god. So anyway, it's, it's a great episode and it's a great examination or a great, uh, plat, uh, um, platform for that character to kind yeah. of go through. And it, like he ends up checking himself into a mental institution and then, and then the doctors try to provoke him to have another outburst. And <laughs> like they, they say like, Oh, aren't you annoyed by like mosquito bites? And he's like, mm, fun to scratch. And he just finds little things to not be annoyed about. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, it's really funny. And Flanders is an icon of the show. Um, it's, he's an important, that's one of the best things about the Simpsons really is that it's, it's an ensemble with so many different, like interesting characters throughout the entire town of Springfield. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. Did you have something? Yeah. Well, I mean, the best thing about Flanders is that he's the antithesis of Homer Simpson. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's just like, it's perfect for conflict. He's like, he's just annoyingly humble right? and, and perfect in almost every single way. Mm -hmm. And he he just the antithesis of Homer Simpson and it just, oh, yeah. it just provides it's a perfect context for comedy absolutely to find its way to the surface um yeah, yeah I, I i my favorite part is just the fact that I love I love it when Homer borrows something from Flanders because he never <laughs> borrows it he just keeps it right that's that's so funny to me because we used oh, to have yeah. neighbors that borrowed our stuff and I mean we always got it back but yeah it, was just, right. it just made me think of that of like I'd be so pissed off if someone did that to me <laughs> when I, when I watched it as a kid. Um, Speaking of which, Tiny, your Avatar Blu-ray is right over there. Oh, is it? Well, I forgot yeah. you even had it. I uh, yeah, I forgot to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's Avatar. It's not good. Um, <laughs> um, I also want to point out another episode that I can't remember the name of, so I'm vamping here, even though I can edit this out. <laughs> um, oh, there's an episode when Flanders failed. It's when he starts the Leftorium store. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, the store for left-hander handed people, which. Mm -hmm. Hashtag respect as I am a lefty. Yep. As is my fiance. Nice. Which nice. is a recessive gene I found out recently. Really? Yes. Well, I sure did love recess as a kid. <laughs> Jesus. That's that's so dumb. So hopefully our children won't have the devil hand. Right. <laughs> Jesus. It's a joke. Uh, anyway, there are a lot of episodes about uh, centered around Flanders, and I encourage everyone to um, check them out, you know. Word. You can watch all of The Simpsons on the FX Now app. Word, neighborino. <laughs> nice. Tiny, do you want to bring up the next one? Absolutely. Nice. Um, Quagmire. Family Guy. Yes. Giggity, giggity. <laughs> um, yeah, Quagmire's kind of, he's, I think he's a little more featured than someone like Flanders is. Yeah. Because he's part of like the central group. 
Um, but he's, you know, he's still the quirky, weird, disgusting neighbor. Um, there's not, he doesn't arise from his comedy doesn't arise from contrast necessarily kind of like Flanders did, um, does, but, uh, Quagmire is often the, he's, he's just the, he's like the gross character that you can just kind of use to, to make the easy jokes sort of. Um, I don't think Quagmire is very deep. Um, he's, but, but every once in a while they'll, they'll break him out like the, the, uh, kamikaze episode, um, stuff like that. He'll, every once in a while there's, there's some really good episodes with Quagmire. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, He's he's not necessarily like the cliche neighbor character, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just I like the way they use him on the show. He's just he, he's like a quick cut character. They cut to him doing something really gross, right? And it's always hilarious. I agree, and he is the kind of character that, um, like you said, I think that's more of a reflection on Family Guy being, I guess, less of an ensemble. I mean, you can't really compare it to the Simpsons, even right, though they. Right are comparable i guess but they don't have the big they don't have as big a playground to play with um uh as the simpsons has but he is he does feel that neighborly um uh thing also joe does as well yeah um which i can talk about that for a brief second in in a little bit but um so one of my favorite things about quagmire isn't really his super uh sex driven antics or anything mm-hmm. although maybe this is an extension of it but it's his interactions with Brian um oh those are so great they are so like the the episode i think one of the episodes when they started i feel like there's an episode where they just realized hey why don't we make Brian and Quagmire hate each other yeah and having this episode where where uh Brian learns that Quagmire hates him it's such it's like gold it's gold in that series because it's it's where Brian tries to win Quagmire's friendship but it, Quagmire just has no interest in it and so it's amazing to me because you have Quagmire who is this morally like this immoral um kind of reprehensible sex crazed maniac person who just completely destroys everything that Brian is <laughs> yeah. as a character in that show. It's like, it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. It's where he's, they're having dinner and basically Quagmire just goes off on Brian and he just says, he just says like, I'm upfront about who I am. I like, yeah, I have sex with a lot of, with a lot of bimbos and, and but at least I'm honest about it. You manipulate girls into into thinking that you're some super deep intellectual person, and like he just goes on and on and on, and <laughs> it is just brutal in the best possible way. Yes, it is. Yeah, and that's one of the strongest things about Family Guy for me is that it can kind of work. Their dynamics that they have, while I while like I said before, they don't have the depth or breadth of um uh characters as the simpsons has accumulate accumulated over decades of airtime um from which to mine stories from but the characters that they do are interchangeable like it creates an interchangeability to the plot so there's like there's episodes where it's like like guys night out kind of like guys friends hanging out stuff or there's a buddy comedy thing in um 
Stewie and Brian. There's there's a deeper friendship thing in Brian and in uh, um, Joe Peter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In Brian and Peter, and like there's they can do more things with um, Family Guy than than they can with other shows, and so occasionally the neighborly aspect of Quagmire does come out, and it is pretty good. Um, also, like I said, honorable mention is Joe, because he's actually introduced to the show. I don't know if you remember Tiny as the neighbor that is that Peter is. I think it's that he's feels inadequate comparing mm-hmm. himself to. Um, so they have this kind of rivalry early on in the first couple episodes um, that Joe is in, and it's it's a really it's a really good dynamic that comes from it um, with really Joe and. Uh, Peter and Quagmire and Cleveland. Yeah. Agreed. We didn't, even, we didn't really even mention Cleveland. Oh, we didn't. Cleveland. But I, he was such... He he felt ancillary, really. He did. And I'm not sure a lot of people really like Cleveland that much. I, yeah. I mean, he was... Yeah, I don't know. There there are some good Cleveland scenes and, and sequences and episodes but yeah, he he's never been that fully developed, which makes the fact that he had a show, a spinoff, so perplexing to me. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. I, I don't hear people quoting Cleveland. Right. Right. Because he just doesn't. I don't think he just add. I just never thought he added a lot. Right. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's never been that good. But when when he is working in tandem with Joe and and Peter and Quagmire, it works out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Okay, so I'll go ahead and bring up the next one. It's uh, Kimmy Gibbler from Full House, which we talked about it quite a bit in my our Fuller House episode that I had with uh, Sam, um, who I don't know if he still listens to the podcast. He better. He should. Yeah, if you're listening, Sam, tweet me right now. Um, anyway, <laughs> that was that was a weird ultimatum. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and tweet me with hashtag weird ultimatum. Um, so I know that you're listening. Oh anyway, my God. this is off the rails. <laughs> so Kimmy Gibbler, this was an interesting neighborly character. Tiny, you never really watched Full House, right? Not really. Okay. So Kimmy in the show was made as this, she's a neighbor who's always intruding on the Tanner family's like moments in their, in their situations. And she's kind of a friend of DJ's. I think she's DJ's fresh, best friend in the series. Um, it's been a while since I've seen the original series i've seen fuller house um all of it (laughs) um so anyway she is brought in as this kind of disgusting character like that she's always they're always playing playing her up as the weird character or the character that they don't none of the tanners really like and they they always kind of pick on it it's kind of it's a little mean-spirited from my memory of it but it's it's pretty enjoyable um in its own right um i will say this Never ever lived in a place where neighbors just freely roamed in. We'll, yeah, me yeah. either. We'll talk more about this. That was a pre nine eleven thing, I think. <laughs> That's a weird <laughs> thing to invoke nine eleven into this conversation yeah, with that. It is. But yeah, I actually had conversations with Mike when we were roommates down at USI about eh, it would be nice to kind of have an open door thing, have like a sitcom yeah. neighbor thing, but yeah, wasn't meant to be. Right. Um. Anyway. Uh, Kimmy Gibbler, don't really have much else to say about her. Her character is a little better developed in, I can't believe I'm saying this. Her character is a little better developed in Fuller House. Um, 
because she's actually living in the house now and she's part of the main cast. Um, and it's so much to the point that I feel like her original character in the, in the original series wasn't developed properly enough. She was kind of a one note kind of character from my memory of it, but that came, kind of came into play when I was watching Fuller House because basically anytime, anytime Bob Saget came in to get a paycheck on that show in a little cameo and Kimmy came in, he would like have this, it was like a callback to the original series where they would like act like disgusted with her and be like, get out of here, Kimmy or whatever. <laughs> and the contrast between the original series, like it fit in the, in the context of the original series, but then um, seeing it in this one where she's kind of a focal character of it, it just didn't really work. I bet. Um, but yeah, but anyway, you can hear my full review of that with Sam um, in an episode that will be in the show notes. That's my way of saying that I don't remember the number of the episode. <laughs> hashtag weird. What was it? What was it? Hashtag weird something. I don't know. That was your thing, man. I can't remember. <laughs> um, the thing Sam's going to tweet me. I don't know. Um, anyway. Anyway. Tony, do you want to bring up the next one? I do. So I can stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the most successful TV shows of all time, Seinfeld. Yes. Good Neighbor Kramer. Mm-hmm. Um, which you mentioned the open door policy, right? <laughs> Maybe a bit of a backfire on that show. Oh yeah. Um, I don't. I always found it weird. Like, why? Why are Jerry and Kramer friends? Like, uh, Kramer, yeah. Kramer's just weird, and he's always screwing things up. And like, I, I feel, I feel like Jerry got nothing out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, Kramer was always coming into his house, eating his food, right, and <laughs> drinking his stuff. Like, that's one of the first things he would always do is come in and go to the fridge. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Like, it's it's very funny, but it's just like, why wasn't Jerry just like, you're an asshole, get out of here, I don't <laughs> like you. Like, it's just I, I never really understood the dynamic, but it was hilarious, right? Um, talk about a quirky weird neighbor mm-hmm. kramer is the the pinnacle of that mm-hmm. uh he always has some weird scheme going on yeah. he's writing a coffee table book that is a coffee table itself <laughs> and he's, it's about coffee tables yeah <laughs> he's sleeping in his on a hot tub he's living in the shower i mean he just has the weirdest crap and it's just oh, yeah. like how is this guy still alive right. and like functioning in a functional society. It's, he's just one of those perplexing characters, but just, just classically hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and I think he does to, to the, the compliment of, uh, Michael Richards, mm-hmm. um, brilliant physical comedian. One, like one of the best physical comedian performances. Absolutely. I think I've ever seen. But still has amazing writing attached to his character and can, oh, absolutely. can, you know, deliver some, some of those classic lines, mm-hmm. cl- classic hilarious moments. Um, and you know, we, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned how quirky Kramer is, but at the end of the day, Jerry Seinfeld is incredibly quirky himself. Right. You know, he, he's going through a slew of women throughout mm-hmm. the nine seasons or whatever it had nine yeah. nine um just dating women serially basically right. and and breaking up with them for for mundane things mm-hmm. sometimes crazy stuff but you know, she had man hands <laughs> broke up with her because of that stuff like that so yeah. in a way they complement each other and i i think while jerry is his his quirkiness and oddness is mm-hmm. acceptable and and it's more common um, Kramer's off the wall, but 
he totally gets everything Jerry is quirky about. Right. He, he, like, he's always in support of Jerry. He's like, oh, she had many hands. You had to break up with her. And, okay, move on. It's like, right. it was, it's just, it's, it's funny how the depth of the quirkiness of that show, mm-hmm. I guess that's how I'll put it. Um, and, and I think, I think Kramer was, Kramer was the pinnacle of the quirk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, he was absolutely outstanding. And it's funny because I, like, I only recently within the last year or two, um, watched the entire series from beginning to end for the first time, just, you know, watching it from beginning to end out, uh, like, instead of seeing it in syndication right. growing up, basically. Um, and it's so amazing to me that my perception of Kramer was going into it. My perception of him was this crazy kooky neighbor and and that's what he is but he like it never really clicked with me until i saw it in sequence that it's like he's a part of their gang and he's a part of their group and that's like he's a kind of pivotal member it's just he's such a quirky character right and uh we've said quirky so many times but he is such an out there character and like you said the physical comedy is just so like i don't know how he can possibly move the way that he does oh yeah oh yeah he's like a slinky yeah, exactly. It's weird. And there's a scene, there's a scene in particular that is so freaking brilliant. Um, I'm struggling to remember the exact context of it, but it's basically where he is basically telling a story about how he commandeered a bus that was out of control. <laughs> and it's amazing to me because if I, if I remember my trivia correctly, they originally were going to film the sequence and then they did they like in rehearsal or some something they decided to write it as well maybe maybe Kramer just describes it and it is one of the best comedic scenes I've ever seen <laughs> nice. and it is amazing he is pantomiming it the writing is so perfect because he's talking about how he's like <laughs> he's saying that he had like he's 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 commandeering the bus and because uh, I think someone tried to tried to uh, hijack the bus or something. Um, bus jack the bus um <laughs> and so he took him out or whatever and like he's coming during the bus and then and then he's like and he's like um what is it he says something like and so i'm i like the the high point of the entire thing or the the kind of uh punchline of it is that he's like so i have to stop i'm, I'm stopping all the, at all the stops and then uh Jerry's like in disbelief. He's like, you kept making the stops. And then Kramer's just like, people kept ringing the bell. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so, it's so, so funny. It is one Uh. of my favorite Kramer scenes. Another one is in the marine biologist where it's so, he's talking about going to the beach and, and hitting balls into the ocean. But the way that he does it, the way that he performs this, he basically, he goes in to Jerry's apartment and he's pitching this idea to him, to Jerry and George to basically take the day to go to the beach with him and hit balls into the ocean. The way the energy he has is so creepy and weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rip it and I'm going to put it in this episode right here because it's, it's, I cannot possibly do it justice. So here is basically one of my, probably my favorite Kramer scene of the entire series. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? I really want to have fun. I'm just saying I want to have some fun. <laughs> right now, there are 600 titleists that I got from the driving range in the trunk of my car. Why don't we drive out to Rockaway and hit them 
into the ocean! Now picture this. We find a nice, sweet spot between the dunes. We take out our drivers. We tee up and... That ball goes sailing up into the sky, holds there for a moment, and then... And it's hilarious. I loved it. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, Kramer is amazing. And, right. uh, I mean, he's up yeah. there with Flanders as, oh, absolutely. as the le- like one of those legendary neighbors. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep. So, um, okay, this is kind of a loaded one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and bring up this next one, which it's, it's kind of hard to say. I'll touch on each of these really briefly. Um, friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, the majority of the show took place in apartments. Obviously, they're going to have some interesting neighbor characters. Um, real quickly, I'll, t- I'll talk about kind of the lesser, the lesser, yeah, the lesser, the lesser uh, discussed ones uh, first. So, Danny, there was a, there was a, an arc in one of the seasons. I can't remember. Um, oh, my superpower is failing me. I remember the episodes, the one with the Yeti and the one with. Uh, Ah, the one with the Yeti, the one with the inappropriate sister. There's there's several episodes. I don't remember the season. I'm so sorry, guys. I apologize. I think it was the first season. Nope, it, it wasn't. Mm-mm. Okay. Nope. I think it was like season four or five. Okay. Um. Anyway, so this character, I can't remember the actor who played him, but he is this neighbor who, um, Monica and I, it might have been season three, but Monica and Rachel accidentally fog. Uh, like with a, with a fogger, um, uh, a bug farmer basically. Yeah. And so he is this world traveler who had this like long beard, long, long facial hair, long hair. Um, and they thought he was a Yeti. <laughs> and then he has an arc that is so funny to me <laughs> that, um, he's basically this kind of, um, aloof guy who is, uh, who Rachel is kind of attracted to after he shaves all of his, uh, his facial hair and everything. It's like a three or four episode, um, run mm-hmm. where one of the highlights of it is that he is, <laughs> he's being so nonchalant. He's not paying attention to Rachel and Rachel thinks that he's playing hard to get when it's kind of like, he doesn't really, doesn't really care. Like they mm-hmm. went out once and he's just not, he's not really engaging with her in any flirtatious behavior or anything like that. So he invites Monica and Rachel to this party that he's having this housewarming party and it's like one of the running things is that Rachel is so convinced that he's just playing along with it. And it, it brings one of the, one of the best, one of my, well, one of my favorite scenes in Doug Benson's entire career. <laughs> um, it's where Danny introduces Doug Benson to Rachel as, um, his friend. And then uh, Rachel's like, okay, okay, you can, uh, you can cut the act. I know that he, that you're his wingman and you're, uh, you're here to basically, uh, uh, talk him up and, and be his wingman and everything. And then, um, Doug Benson says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then his icebreaker to her before all that actually is, so you work at Bloomingdale's. And then he says, my mom calls it Bloomies. And just like that line, that delivery is so hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> Danny is an interesting character as a, as a neighbor and as a love interest for Rachel, but he is not that talked about in the show. More talked about to a higher degree is trigger the super the super for the department for the apartment mm-hmm. and one episode that i'll just single out for this character is that um the one with the ballroom dancing it's yeah. uh do you remember that one tiny i do yeah do you want to do you want to talk about it a little bit 
Or is there anything? Yes. Like, Isn't okay. he learning? I, I remember, if I remember correctly, the super is trying to learn how to dance to impress mm-hmm. his wife who left him. No, he's uh, to impress a female super that he has a crush on. That's right. Because there is a ball for supers called the Super Ball. <laughs> oh my god yeah wow you remember it a lot better than i do oh yes but doesn't he do the dancing lessons with joey yeah right because uh because um um he he threatens to have rachel and monica evicted but right yeah it's it's such a funny gag throughout the entire episode um and what's what's more fun about it is the fact that joey's into it <laughs> right he's he's so he's so into it it's it's really enjoyable um, and then I'll kind of talk on these two really quickly. Mr. Heckles, who was played by Larry Hankin in the early seasons, mm-hmm. and it leads to one of my favorite moments in the entire series. It's the one where uh, the episode is the one where Heckles dies. Right. And it's where, uh, wow, Kramer, uh, Chandler <laughs> has this kind of weird, like existential crisis where he doesn't know what he wants to do and he he's wasted his life. He's afraid that he's um, breaking up with all these girls for the wrong reasons and being like um, just being too picky. And he doesn't want to end up like Mr. Heckles, their downstairs neighbor who died alone in a kind of hoarder esque apartment. And it's this really unique episode. It's kind of a really heartfelt episode too. And I know I've talked about it in the podcast before, but it's such a touching episode because it's where one of our characters is connecting with a character who isn't even on screen. The character is dead throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a really heartfelt episode and it's really, I don't know. I'm afraid to watch it now because I'm older and I'm afraid to watch it and actually, uh, um, uh, relate to Chandler's character. That's that's one of the funny. Th- as an aside, that's one of the funny things about Friends is I'm terrified to rewatch it again because I'm terrified of relating to some of the characteristics of some of the characters. Right. Um. Because I watched it at such a such a pivotal age where I was I was a teenager and I was kind of like uh like oh this is this is what grownups are like and now I'm like oh this is this is what they meant. Now it's real. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And finally, the most talked about Friends neighbor character ugly naked guy <laughs> mm-hmm. which is such a mean-spirited thing <laughs> it is but i did appreciate how ugly naked guy eventually led to ross being a neighbor and like getting the apartment like they have a whole episode where he's trying to get the apartment from ugly naked guy so you have this character who through like five six seasons is um just this neighbor that they that they keep like referencing and then there's an episode where it's not only that he becomes a, he doesn't become a character because it doesn't have any like scenes, but like his, his quirk, his, his, his aura, um, becomes a big part of another character or be, not becomes a big part of it, but becomes an inciting thing about the plot. So he, in the, in the episode, Ross takes the apartment and that's when he realized that's when he learns the truth about Chandler and Monica. And it's, it's such a great way to kind of bring the ugly naked guy character full circle. So anyway, right. do you have any comments on any of these tiny? That just made me think of when Ross goes, my best friend and my sister. Right. And then he's like, I love her. He's like, my best friend and my sister. I don't know. That made me think of that. Yeah. I love that part. Ross is so funny. Oh, he's so great. And that yeah. season or that, that season in particular, he's so, David Schwimmer seems like he had so much fun with it because 
he, that season in, in particular, he's like off the deep end crazy. Oh yeah, so. I yeah, ugly naked guy. I think is the most interesting because, like you said, mm-hmm. he's he's just this kind of recurring gag throughout the show, right. but they turn him into something. You know, he he plays an important role at some point in the, right. in the show. It's kind of it's just kind of funny that they they went that route. They mm-hmm. could have just kept drawing from that well and getting the easy laugh, but they right. you know they decided to turn it into something. Exactly, and I will be remiss if I don't mention that he also did have a big part in the episode, the one with the giant poking device. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Right. Um. Yeah. So, do you want to bring us to the next one? We have two more. Gladly. Awesome. Uh, another family-driven sitcom, Family Matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Urkel, another very famous, quirky, goofy uh, neighbor character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's funny because I think initially the first season or maybe the first couple of seasons, uh, Steve Urkel was supposed to be like an outside character. Like he was only supposed to show up like every couple episodes yeah. and just, you know, say a couple silly lines and be gone. But People just focused in on him, and you know the the fans spoke, if you will, and he turned into one of the main characters. Oh, absolutely! Uh, he was in like almost every episode, I think, after that. Um, and and he's the the show Family Matters was very simple, mm-hmm. cheesy. Um, you know, it's it, you pretty much knew where a lot of the stories were going. A lot of family values, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. Steve Urkel was not a very complicated character. He did the same thing every episode. <laughs> you know, he would pine after uh, the daughter. I don't even remember her name. I don't remember it either. Gosh, it's been so long since I've seen any Family Matters. I don't even know if it's on on in syndication anywhere anymore. I don't know either. It might be. It might be, it might be available to stream somewhere. There might have yeah. some episodes on, like... Hulu, but I, I don't know. I hope they do because I, I genuinely enjoyed it as a kid. But, mm. uh, but yeah, he he would he would pine after the the daughter of the main family, and then he would do some crazy experiment that would go really well for about ten seconds, and then it would screw up, and hmm. something would blow up, or he'd hurt right. himself, or something goofy. Um, so he really was not a deep <laughs> character. He didn't. He, like I said, he, he kind of just did the same thing every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the good parts of Family Matters was when they did something heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the kids would screw up and and the cop from Die Hard would set him straight. Um, <laughs> the cop from Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember any of the character names or the mm-hmm. actors. Uh, I, I, that's bad. Ah, that's fine. But, I mean, Urkel is... You know, everyone knows who Steve Urkel is. Right. To this day. It's it's kind of goofy. Um, yeah, so he he was a very... The, the show, I don't think, was very deep, but but sometimes there would be something that... It, it was the moments where the show got serious, and all the jokes were very commonplace and very... Mm. You could see them coming a mile away. And I, don't, I don't think anything was especially incredible or, or, or uh, standalone about the, the comedy of the show. But I think the moments where... Something serious happened. I think you actually got some pretty, some pretty quality television out of those moments, mm-hmm. um, and, and they did that pretty regularly. Um, I I appreciated the show in those moments as a kid. Um, so yeah, Ur- Urkel. Everyone knows who Urkel is, and like I said, mm-hmm. he's just such a simple character. Um, but just because of his catchphrase, and he's right. he's he is unique in the fact that no one else is like Steve Urkel. That voice, mm-hmm. his appearance with the glasses, and his catchphrase. He was uh he, he was he was a catchphrase. He was a personified catchphrase. That's yeah, what Steve Urkel was. Exactly. Um and um, that was okay. Nice. Yeah. I yeah. 
You know, I didn't really watch it that much, but uh, by the way, it's Reginald Vell Johnson. There you go. Um, he played um, the main character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember their the family. Carl, Carl uh, Winslow. Winslow, that's yeah. right. So anyway, this show was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. I forgot about that. Yeah, which uh, was it was one of the longest running um, sitcoms with a with a an African-American family at mm-hmm. its center. And I believe, if I remember correctly, it was originally, like, that was one of the big things about it. Like, this was, this could, this was supposed to be a big cultural, cultural show in that it, it featured a, 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 a black family at the, at the center of it. Right. And that's something that wasn't on TV that much at, at the time. And part of what, a lot of um, issues that arose out of it was that it immediately became the Urkel show, and that kind of just undermined what they what is what it was originally going to be oh. focused on, and that's that's really a shame, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, the uh, Key and Peele did a freaking beautiful sketch, beautiful, beautiful sketch about this, um, with Jordan Peele playing um. Uh, uh, Reginald Val Johnson. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak that, that much about, um, family matters. The one thing I do remember is, um, I think the older son of the family is talking to a girl that he's going to go on a date with or something. And he says something along the lines of, let's go see a movie. Um, what, uh, what's that one movie called? Jifk? Um, <laughs> <laughs> JFK. Oh my gosh. And uh yeah, that that's that always always stuck with me for some reason. But um That's silly. See, and that's so weird. Like I'm reading the quotes on IMDb and spoilers for the last lines of the series basically. Wow. Should I say this? Sure. Okay. It's just like Steve Urkel, like the last lines of the entire series is Steve Urkel saying, "Do I get a welcome home kiss?" And Laura saying, on one condition, Steve Urkel says, what's that? Laura says, that you'll no- never go into outer space again. Because this show became <laughs> something so different. It did. From what it was supposed to. I remember that Mike talked very, like, very passionately about how off the mark this show became and how, um, how terrible it became because of Urkel at the center of it. And it's, yeah. it's really a shame. There's no nuance to, to, to Urkel. Right. He's all, he's all style and no substance, right. <laughs> and that is unfortunate. Yep. So, anyway, um, having said that, I don't have much else to bring into it. So, should I round us up? I think you should. All right. So this one was one that wasn't really bandied about when talking about um, favorite TV neighbors when I threw it out on Facebook and Twitter, but Lucille too from Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. Um. One of my favorite things about it, like, like that character becomes such a, played by Liza Minnelli, um, she becomes such a figure in Buster's storyline throughout the, throughout the series run. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I, I really like about it is the dynamic between her and Lucille Bluth because they have, like, there's such a rivalry to them, but in the beginning, like, it's set up that, Lucille too is, you know, very like very kind on the Bluth family and 
for some reason, Lucille Bluth just hates her. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's one of the things that I need to go back and rewatch Arrested Development, but one of the things that stuck, stuck out to me in my memory of it is that the scene where they basically, uh, talk about how Lucy, <laughs> it's like just a quick gag, but Lucille, um, Bluth expanded her bathroom or something to where it, it, um, uh, made, like Lucille 2's like kitchen or something so small. And it was like, there's just a scene where Lucille 2 has no idea what's going on, has no idea that there's such a vehement, uh, um, anger toward her from Lucille Bluth. So it's just like there's these little like things where she's so confused about the behavior of it and she doesn't <laughs> understand. So it's, it's, she's a good character and, um, the spouts of Vertigo also in it. It's just so fun. Such a fun character to have as, somewhat of a foil to Lucille Bluth um, in that just completely, completely wacky family dynamic in the entire series. Just, God, that's such a great show. It is. Yeah. And it's it's made extra extra funny just by the fact that Lucille 2 is played by a pop culture icon like Liza right. Minnelli. That's like, oh, it's yeah. just, it's so funny. They got someone so famous to play that role. <laughs> right. Where she's, she just plays second fiddle to this other character the whole time. And exactly. It, it is, and, and she's goofy and they make some, uh, some inside jokes. Um, mm-hmm. there's one point where the song New York, New York comes on and she's like, they always remember Sinatra or something <laughs> like that. Cause she was the first person to actually sing that song oh, in the musical. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's just, there's so many great subtle jokes in that show. Um, That's so great. Yeah. I loved Lucille too, as well. She mm-hmm. was, it was just so funny how it was always her name is the same. Like that's just so brilliant. Her name is the same as uh, Buster's mom. It's like he he certainly has a type, doesn't right. she? Um, it's just it, it it's just a brilliant show. Oh um, yeah, and they and the fact that they just call they refer to her as Lucille too. Right. It's just so so funny. Yeah. So hilarious. <laughs> um. Ah, so great. I don't um, even remember what her character's last name is. Do they ever reveal it? Lucille Ostero. Ostero, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh yeah. They just call her Lucille too. Right. It's so <laughs> it's, great. It's funny. So, okay, so that basically rounds us out for this topic for this week. Um, before we get to, um, potpourri, which for first time listeners, potpourri is a section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want as long as it smells good, things we're watching, things we've watched, things we're looking forward to, news items, although that's kind of out of date because we have a news segment. Anyway, <laughs> before we get to that, on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer, um, I threw out a question asking everyone what TV neighbors, they would, um, come to mind, um, when recording this episode. So, uh, friend of the show, Brandon Yotter from Synapshot Productions, um, a listener to Anthology who said that he would email Anthology, but he never did. Um, <laughs> he will eventually, I'm sure. Anyway, um, so he had a few and he said, this was a really great comment. He said, Friends has some great ones. Heckles, Trigger, Ugly Naked Guy. If you want to go old school, you could do uh, Rhoda from uh, Mary Tyler Moore or Fred and Ethel Mertz from I Love Lucy or Gladys from Bewitched or any number of people from Three's Company that lived in that apartment complex. Um, last thought, Ray's family from Everybody Loves Raymond. I wasn't a huge fan of the show, but the whole cornerstone of the series was that they lived across the street. Um <laughs> I loved the diversity of his picks. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I need to go back and just watch 
all of these classic, yeah. classic like sitcoms because I it is such a blind spot for me. Right. Because I've never seen Mary Tyler Moore, never seen I Love Lucy, never seen Bewitched. Um, I've desperately wanted to see Three's Company, but I've just never seen it. Um, that might be like a project for me to do, um, in mm-hmm. the future because I'm just so out of touch with a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, and I told him that and I said that, uh, I said time to start some podcasts to cover Bewitched and I Love Lucy, I guess. And he said, I'd listen to it. And, uh, and, uh, I was, I was really proud of this tiny. Oh God. I said the Bewatched podcast. <laughs> so if anyone wants to start the a Bewitched podcast and you can use that title and give me credit because <laughs> I think that that is brilliant. Oh my God. Bewatched. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So brilliant. He, Tiny can't even speak. <laughs> he was on point with uh, Fred Nethel, though. I used to watch mm-hmm. some I Love Lucy. Nice. Yeah, they were some classic. Iconic were show. Classic. Yeah. Fred Nethel. Nice. Um, I'll report back in the future about that. Nice. Around the time I talk about uh, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Normal Heart. So, Robert Feckus, friend and frequent guest of the <laughs> podcast, he um, he commented with the big heads from Rocco's Modern Life. Also... May not count, but Roger from American Dad, he lives in the attic, though. He's basically the goofy neighbor. Well, okay, he is, but let's let's keep this let's let's keep this to characters that live outside of the the um the blueprints of the domicile of the main cast. I mean, fine. Yeah, come it's on. A technicality. Fecus. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's unacceptable. I put a question out on Facebook and Fecus <laughs> decided to just completely disregard it. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Most know. Frequent guest. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Fecus. Have fun in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, win some money for me. Yes, me too. Seriously, the donate button on obsessiveviewer.com. <laughs> um, and I forgot to bring this up in the main list, but, um, that, his comment, cause I, I don't remember much about Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, me either. Yeah. And, and a lot of people our age love it. Um, but that kind of reminded me of Mr. Dink from Doug. Did you ever watch Doug? Oh, I watched Doug. I do not nice. remember that. Really? He's the goofy neighbor that Doug is friends with who, he always weirdly invites him into his house and has some, I think he's an, an inventor maybe, okay. or he always has some weird off the wall things. It's, it's really, it's really, uh, it's really a fun dynamic. Those like Doug and Rugrats are on Hulu and I need to, I need to just sit down and watch them and, you know, remember my childhood. <laughs> um, Next up on the comments are Craig Lane from Intermission Podcast said, I'm always partial to the Flanders. Or the King of the Hills, uh, the Gribbles. Yeah, that would have been a good mention. I didn't really watch that show that much. Me neither. I never, I hardly ever watched it. Yeah. So I've got no um, context for it. So they were good. Yeah, I mean, they'd get together. It was the classic uh, yip thing. They'd like stand gotcha. up behind, by the fence and drink beer and just talk about random things. Right. It was funny. Nice. Um, you're listening to the Obsessive Viewer podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, Todd Nix commented with Ned Flanders with an exclamation point. Um, our friend Alex from, uh, obsessivebooknerd.com said Wilson from Home Improvement. Yep. And I replied with, oh, ha 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 ha. <laughs> and I put, that's my text impression of Tim Allen's weird grunting noise thing. <laughs> um, and then on, oh, I'm, these are, we have so many. Um, uh, Pat Kuhn from the Nerds You're Looking For podcast at thenerdspodcast.com. 
and uh, who's going to have uh, hopefully a short film at Sharktober Nervington. I'm putting him on the hook for that. Um, <laughs> and he said, Bob, uh, Bob Pinciotti. I've not seen that 70s show in oh, yeah. forever. I never watched that show. Yeah. It's all on Netflix. Mike is a huge fan of it. And then Pat went on to say that um, apparently Will Forte was a producer on a few seasons of it and huh. wrote one of Pat's favorite episodes, which that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Like that makes me really want to go and re or watch the show for the first time. Huh. Um, and then finally for Facebook, and then I have some tweets and then we'll get on to potpourri. Uh, Patrick Hogan said, Kimmy Gibbler, Mr. Feeney, Wilson and Urkel. And, uh, yeah, Mr. Feeney is an interesting choice. I, I wanted to put him on the list, but he's, he's more of a mentor than a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can argue that he's an Eric uh, he's he's a neighbor for Eric because Eric is always um, uh, bugging him. But yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So really quickly, tweets. Our friend Molly said clearly Wilson and Mister Wilson. Whoa. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then she posted a picture of like an an Illuminati thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's at multiply. So bug her. Um, <laughs> And, uh, this, this guy, Mike at I am Mike White on Twitter. I don't know. Never heard of him. Oh, I missed the times then <laughs> those words were spoken on this podcast. Um, anyway, um, he said, Sam from Clarissa explains it all. Totally forgot about that character. Yeah. Haven't seen that in such a long time. Yeah, me either. Yep. And, uh, Tony, friend of the show and gift card winner from the show at Indiana Geeking. Said, I've seen it mentioned before, but Wilson from Home Improvement will always get my vote. Yep. Yep. Josh at Movie Guys Josh, who is a co-host on Intermission Podcast with Craig. Um, unlike, or he said, Ugly Naked Guy from Friends. Uh, Dylan Shuck uh, at Shuckster. He is the host of the Watch and Talk, said Wilson. And finally, Paul Elliott at Paul Elliott underscore 316 and also at Seinfeld Madness. Um, said the K-Man, of course, Kramer. <laughs> the K-Man. Oh, yeah. Check out his, uh, Seinfeld bracket site, uh, SeinfeldMadness.wordpress.com. Okay. So we are at a long time in this recording. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go on to potpourri. Once again, for first time listeners, this is the part of the podcast where we wind down the episode and share something that we've watched or something that we're looking forward to, uh, to kind of wind down the episode. So tiny, do you want to get us kicked off? Absolutely. Nice. Uh, I recently watched the, uh, the film 13 hours, which was uh, directed by Michael Bay. Nice. Um, it's about the attack in on the uh, American uh, embassy in Benghazi in uh, mm-hmm. 2012, I believe. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's basically a, it's not, obviously it's not real time, but it has this kind of this ticking clock feel to it. Okay. Um, it for those who don't know, uh, there was an ambassador in the city of Benghazi, which is in Libya. And, uh, he was, the, uh, embassy was attacked and he was murdered. And, uh, the, there's tons of political uh, controversy wrapped up in the uh, the unfortunate tragedy, um, but there's an, a really there's a really amazing story about some uh, contractors who were all former military that were um, operating at a uh, a secret CIA base which was also in Benghazi and like a mile away from the embassy, 
Um, and you know, when they heard what was going on at the embassy, they took action and tried to defend, um, all of the American citizens that were in Libya, either through the embassy or through the CIA, uh, the, the secret base they had there sort of. Um, and it's, it's just this incredibly harrowing, really amazing story. Um, it's, it, it reminded me a little bit of zero dark 30 and that I wonder how accurate all this is because mm-hmm. we're talking about people who are working for the CIA, obviously all kinds of secrecy wrapped up in that. Right. Um, but even if it's not entirely true, it's a great story. And, and I, Man, I really enjoyed it. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of uh, Lone Survivor. Okay. Um, which I was not incredibly satisfied with. Right. Um, I liked parts of it. Um, but I, I feel like, I, I feel like, uh, Michael Bay and Peter Berg are becoming very synonymous, very similar directors, yeah. which is unfortunate because I feel like Pete Berg had a very, a very good style mm-hmm. early on in his directing career. And I just, he's gotten more and more Michael Bayish. Right. With uh, like um, battleship, battleship, Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor. I, I feel he's just he's really gotten into the slow motion stuff, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little dissatisfied with that. Um, and so whenever I see a Michael Bay movie, I'm never, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily all that excited. Sure. Um, but I I think this movie outshined Lone Survivor pretty well. Nice. Um, I feel like the characters were just better. I, I mean, and I don't. It's funny because you're talking about in Lone Survivor a group of Navy SEALs. You know, they're talking about military guys who served together for years, and and you know, you 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 expect to really connect to that cohesiveness. And I did to an extent in Lone Survivor, but I was so much more satisfied with the six uh, characters that worked together in this movie. And I, I think I think part of the reason is the way the movie was filmed, which was really done. Like I said, it kind of had this, this like clicking talk, okay. ticking clock right. feel to it. I said, okay, like that made <laughs> any kind of sense. <laughs> oh man. Um, but you, there's this conflict taking place where it's, it's these six guys against half of a city. It feels like, wow. and, and they're just, it, it feels like a mission in a call of duty game. Okay. So, I mean the, the action, I just, Absolutely loved it. It's it's six guys up on rooftops defending this base against hundreds of Jeez. of attackers, and it's it it seems very implausible. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I don't know. I don't know what's true and what wasn't. But uh, it just had this very this this really gung ho feel to it that I just immediately latched onto, and just I just fell in love with the action, and I was just there for it, and I was like, I'm I'm into this movie, I can't wait to see what happens and how this ends, and just the action was just really satisfying for me. Um, nice, I really dug the movie. Um, of course, it has its flaws. There's the classic Michael Bay just. The camera does not always have to be moving. You can, you can just set it down and just mm-hmm. let the actors do their thing. You don't have to put it on a dolly for every single second of the movie. Right. It gets a little annoying, but you know, at the end of the day, you're talking about an action movie and sure. can't blame them too much. I, I don't know. It, it just gets on my nerves sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it does have its flaws. Um, I, I was, I was so happy to see, um, John Krasinski, uh, Jim Halpert mm-hmm. be a leading man. Uh, he was, well, he, I mean, uh, I was making a face because of Jim. Oh, cause he always makes yeah. a face. Yeah. In the show. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, <laughs> I, I was just really happy to see him in that kind of role. I, I hadn't nice. seen him in anything like that before. Um, he packed on a ton of muscle, and mm-hmm. he 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 looked he looked and played the part very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very satisfied to see that. Speaking of actors, I've been dying to see as somewhat of a lead, James mm-hmm. Badgedale. Um, I think nice. you and I have been a fan of his since 24. Oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. I, I've always thought he's a great actor. Um, and he's always had this kind of character character role to him, just a character actor kind of guy. Yeah, like action character actor. Yeah, like Iron Man 3. Yeah, Iron Man 3, uh, World War Z. Right. Yeah. Not a lot of chance to show off his acting chops. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he almost like kind of shared the lead with John Krasinski in this movie. Did a phenomenal job. Also got incredibly jacked for the movie. <laughs> looked Looked great and just... I enjoyed the fact that these weren't just like muscle bound, you know, meatheads right. who were just had no depth to them. These guys actually, you know, they talked about their families and, and they had existential crises. I, I, I appreciated the work that the actors put in. Um, nice. and, and the other, some of the other main actors are also not really leading guys. Mm-hmm. Um, David Denman from the office, right. most famously from the office, Pablo Schreiber from the wire. Mm-hmm. These just aren't really your kind of leading guys. And I think that was such a cool choice from Michael yeah. Bay and the casting director. It was, it's just really cool to see those guys nailing roles as like leading action guys. Mm-hmm. It was so cool. I, I really appreciated that. Nice. Um, at the end of the day, it's a Michael Bay movie. Sure. But you know what? Sometimes I'm in the mood for a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> right. So, um, I really enjoyed 13 hours. I'd, I'd probably give it a very solid seven. Nice. Maybe 7.5. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Awesome. Well, I will have to check that out. Like, I was going through Google Play to see what all they had for rent, because it it had been a while since I rented anything from Google Play, and I thought about renting it, so I'm, you know, I thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up renting Midnight Special instead. I'll talk about that on a later podcast after I see it, but... Cool. Anyway, um, cool. Well, good, good job. Um... (laughs) For my potpourri, much like, much like yours, much like 13 hours, um, nothing at all really <laughs> about it. Um, I saw, um, I saw Finding Dory, the latest nice. Disney Pixar movie. So it's funny because I, it's, it's so weird. I had this kind of thought when I went into the theater for Finding Dory, I kind of realized that in the back of my mind, I went in thinking, this is the first Pixar movie I've seen in the theater since The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> and that movie just did not, it might be the worst Pixar movie I've seen. Wow. Like, I, I had such a bad reaction to it. It was not good. It was, it was just kind of really, um, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. It was just very, um, lacked a focus in it, much like my review of it just now. But, um, <laughs> so Finding Dory, I went into it. I, like, I'm a Pixar fanboy. I, I love Pixar. Finding Nemo is one of my favorite Pixar movies. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it's fantastic. Um, it's, uh, oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh, I've got an ocean of puns here. <laughs> but, um, no, it's, it's really great. And it's one of my favorite Pixar movies. So I kind of made sure I went into Finding Dory with, with low expectations. Like, I, you know, a lot of people kind of rag on Pixar, not really rag on Pixar, but there, there's a lot of debate over whether or not Pixar is really going to come back to the top of their game because Inside Out really get, bought them a lot of favor after like Monsters University and Brave 
bunch of sequels. Cars and- too, yeah. And so you have Inside Out and then The Good Dinosaur, which was just not not good. And then so now Finding Dory, it's like like it's kind of shaky that in one year they had a really great one of their best movies in Inside Out and then one of their worst Good Dinosaur. So it's you kind of go into Finding Dory thinking like, okay, this is a sequel. Yeah. Um, which one's it going to be? Is it going to be Cars 2 or is it going to be, you know, um, The Incredibles? Is it going to be good? So that's just a, I'm, I'm long winded here, but, um, it, I liked it. <laughs> nice. I liked it quite a bit. It was not, it was not the sequel machine Pixar that Cars 2 was. Um, it told a really good story about, Living with someone with a mental illness, uh, parenting someone with that's developmentally different, mm-hmm. and they're, like those kinds of stories really came through really well. It was it was really well done in in that respect. There's a combination of um, kind of flashbacks as Dory is kind of remembering bits and pieces of her um, of her family to kind of guide her in finding them. Um, that. It's just really touching. It's, it's really, really touching. And I will go on record and say that I think that like child Dory, uh, in the flashbacks, maybe one of the cutest, like maybe the cutest cartoon character I've ever seen. Wow. So adorable. But there's some really interesting kind of heavy stuff in it when, um, I can't really spoil anything, but kind of going through, um, kind of like that theme of, of, um, having a character like having a child or having someone in your life who's different from you, mm-hmm. who you have to make sure um is properly cared for. Okay, and it's it's a really strong narrative in that respect. And what I also appreciated about it is that despite the name, despite the title, um, it's not as much of a retread of the first movie as you would think because. The movie is about her trying to find her family. And so you would think like, okay, there's going to be another race across the ocean to find where she came from, basically. That's not necessarily how it is. And it was really interesting to see them kind of play with a new, a new area, basically. I won't really give it away because I don't know what it was all in the trailers because I kind of avoided them. But instead of traversing the whole ocean, she finds out she came from a place and then they explore that place, like okay. a specific place. And, um, it's, it can, it's really heartfelt. Um, in, in some parts, uh, some of, some of the plot elements kind of seem a little convenient and didn't really have that, have that like classic Pixar characters in turmoil. How are they going to get through it? Kind of plotting. Um, that is so something that I love so much about. Pixar itself. Um, some of that's a little lost because some of the situations are kind of easily, easily gotten out of or gotten out of by pure chance or coincidence, mm-hmm. um, or convenience. And that was kind of a bummer, but I still enjoyed the ride. It was, um, it was really interesting to see these characters in this environment and in this, uh, story, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. And, on the Pixar emotion meter, I got a little teary eyed in some places. I didn't like cry like I did with, um, Toy Story 3, but, right. um, it was still, you know, it was still a little, little, little dusty. Nice. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. see it at some point. I nice. I enjoy Pixar mm-hmm. a ton. I, they're great. I'm not as big of a fan as you are. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. There's some other Pixar movies I haven't even seen yet. I haven't seen Brave yet. Oh, okay. Some other stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. I, I love Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. How can you not love Finding Nemo? Oh, yeah. I think there are big, tough, tattoo-covered bikers who love Finding Nemo. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'll, I'll see it eventually, and I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, as you see on my my shelf over there, right next to the Halloween box set, to the... Right to the right of Halloween and to the left of Game of Thrones are all my Pixar DVDs. <laughs> That's an interesting or pairing. Blu-rays. Yeah, it's weird. So if you want to borrow any of them, go right ahead. Right on. Um. So yeah. So okay. So that's Finding Dory. And uh, what are we doing next week, Tony? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters review. Ghostbusters review yeah. also. And I think after that we're gonna have an extended potpourri. 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 It's been a while. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you guys so much for listening. And again, seriously, even if you don't, like, don't even consider this a plug for my solo podcast. Just think, or just, you don't even have to listen to it or, or care about what I do on the side or anything. Do yourself a favor and go on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. It's all over the place. Season 1, Episode 22 of The Twilight Zone. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Watch it because it was astounding. Nice. And I hope I did not build it up way too much. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that does it for this week's episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Okay, guys, so I'm recording this as I'm editing it um, in lieu of a uh, an outtake stinger for the episode. Here is some newly recorded stuff. Um, this episode was actually recorded um, a couple weeks ago, and it's going to be put up pretty later than usual. Um, so, as such, this news stuff that we've been doing is pretty out of date. Um, I just want to just mention just real quickly that, um, the movie pass news basically, um, on the 12th of July. So, um, like five days ago, as of this recording, um, movie pass announced new monthly pricing tiers. So like in, I just want to just run through this really quickly. According to Engadget, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, tier one markets, which I, apparently that's markets with, each each area or each um, city is judged by the amount of people, I guess, in it. So they have three tiers for it. So tier one markets would be $15 for two movies, $22 for three movies, and $40 for unlimited. Uh, tier two markets are $18 for two movies with MoviePass. Obviously, this is what it means. It's You only get two movies for $18 a month. Uh, $27 for three movies or... $45 for unlimited and tier three markets, which I'm assuming is going to be like New York city, Los Angeles, Chicago, maybe, um, $21 for two movies, $31 for three movies, $50 for unlimited. Personally, me, I think that that's pretty okay. Um, I'm, I'd be more than happy to pay 40, 45 or $50 for unlimited movies. And apparently they're going to be dropping the 24 hour limit. Um, which is freaking awesome because as of right now, like I, so, okay. Say, I see, say I see a movie Saturday night at nine o'clock. I have to wait until Sunday night at nine o'clock or later to see another movie, which sucks because if you work on Mondays, you know, that's, that's a problem. So if they're going to phase that out or drop that out, um, entirely, 
um, holy crap, that would be a game changer, and I don't know how they would be able to sustain themselves um, with that. But um, we'll see. So anyway, I wanted to add that, and also a couple things as well. Um, as we mentioned, um, Sharks Coburn Irvington tickets are on sale. And one thing that I got set up after we recorded this episode is that if you go to the, the website for buying tickets for Sharktober in Irvington, which you can find at sharktoberinirvington.com, uh, when you go to buy your ticket, um, if you are a listener to this podcast, if you are hearing this right now, um, go to enter promotional code and put podcast one. That's podcast the number one, and that will give you that'll get you one dollar off your ticket to Shocktober Irvington. Just an added bonus for podcast listeners because I know that in years past we've had people that listen to the podcast, obviously come to the show, and we wanted to reward you guys for um, that as well. So let's see. Okay, and then finally. I um, have been going to in, uh, Indie Film Fest, so that's why this episode is coming up a little late, and uh, I want to just give you the caveat that next week's episode is probably going to be the same way, um, <clears throat> our review of Ghostbusters, because um, Indie Film Fest was kind enough to give me a very last minute, um, due to my, due to me, <laughs> um, a very last minute all-access pass for the podcast, so... Basically, I emailed them, and then, uh, like, the day before the the festival started, and they were very gracious enough to give me a pass, so I'm very thankful to them for that. And I just wanted to just say, so, I'm, I'm posting this Sunday morning, um, the, the first Sunday morning of the festival, so the festival is running Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Please go to it. It's a really cool festival, um, and each each ticket or each screening costs 10 bucks totally worth it it's comparable to um obviously a theater ticket at one of the big chains um maybe even a little less if you're you know who knows prices um anyway it might actually be a little cheaper and these are all movies that you may never get a chance to see and they're movies that uh, you don't like they may never get distribution and they're what attracts me to them is that these are all passion projects by the filmmakers. These are people sunk all kinds of money, time, commitment to these things. And it's not like the studio backed, um, the studio system. It's, it's all independent films. It's, it's incredible. And I highly recommend checking out on Friday. They're going to be screening a film starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster, um, as two brothers that, are bank robbers. It's called Hell or High Water. I've seen the trailer a dozen times now, uh, having gone to the festival the last couple of days, and it looks phenomenal. It looks awesome. So go check that out. And also, I just want to mention uh, a couple movies that I've seen so far. And it, and I may and I may do a maybe a solo bonus episode just talking all about the festival if you guys are into that um, after it's over with because Tiny's not going to be able to make it because he's going. He's not going to be able to make it to the festival because he's going to Florida for vacation. So anyway, um, so yeah, uh, uh, Indie Film Fest, it's awesome. Go check it out. I've seen several movies at this point, and I want to I comment on a couple of them because you can still see them as of, this, as of when I release this. So 
you'll have the chance to go see it if you want to. But there's one there's one feature that I highly recommend. It's called the Invisible Patience. It follows this nurse practitioner who lives in um, Evansville. Who it's w- about a year, year and a half of her life as a nurse practitioner, um, and they follow four different patients that she goes to see in in home care. And just the way that the documentary is put together, and the way that it's it's the narrative finds itself in it is so just amazing and really special. Um, It resonated with me on a, on a pretty deep level because um, as I'm sure you guys know, or um, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before my father passed away in February and the last for about the last year of his life, he was in, he had in-home health care. He had nurse practitioners come take care of him, um, check check his check all of his stuff um, about, I think it was once a week. Um, and then eventually as he got worse, um, that was, that was a amplified or that was um, changed. But so, so seeing this, a documentary about that profession and those people as in particular, this one nurse practitioner, just, it really resonated with me because I know firsthand that, uh, that level of care, um, in home care for patients that are cognitive of it being nearing the end. And, and it, I don't know, it, it's, it's a lot to deal with. And those, the people in that field have, a lot of my respect because uh, I know firsthand that my dad really um, appreciated and enjoyed when they came to visit and, and they had such a good rapport and um, yeah. So, so that documentary is called the invisible patients. You can check it out at invisible and in, you can check out information about it at invisiblepatients.com. And it's going to screen again on Thursday, July 21st at 7 p.m at the Indianapolis Museum of Art. Um, you can check that out at um, indiefilmfest.org, and that's where you can buy tickets and everything um, for it. I highly recommend it. It's seriously such a spectacular um, documentary. And also, friends of the show, Michael Goldberg and Dave Chan, they have a short film that's playing at Indie Film Fest right now. It's called Rye Manhattan. You heard them talk about it when they were last on the podcast. And I saw it today and it's such a fun, fun movie. And it's, it's, it's really special. I would definitely, uh, recommend going to check it out. It's screening Wednesday, July 20th at 7 PM. Um, as part of the special Hoosier, Hoosier shorts block. Um, and it's also screening on, uh, Wednesday, July 20th in the giggle fits, um, block of short films at one thirty PM. And when I went to go see it today in the giggle fits one, uh, it was such, it was awesome because the theater was packed. Like, like the screening was, was really, really packed. And, um, it played really well to a crowd. So I'm really happy for Michael and Dave and you should also check out their podcast, surefire podcast, because it has a lot of really cool insight into the making of both their collaboration, their history and the making of their first feature film, surefire. So check that out. Surefirepodcast.com, uh, Ryan Manhattan, 
at Indie Film Fest and just check out Indie Film Fest in general because they're really cool. Um, it's a really cool organization, all volunteer run. It's They have a spectacular lineup um, this year, and I'm really looking forward to checking out more. So having said all that, thank you guys for listening. Once again, you can check out um, Indie Film Fest at IndieFilmFest.org, and please Go to Shocktober and Irvington, <laughs> um, shocktoberandirvington.com. Go to the link to buy your tickets. If you And remember, put podcast one, podcast and the number one to get $1 off for a special promotion for our podcast listeners. So without further ado, thank you guys. And we'll see you next week for our review of Ghostbusters, which I'm hearing is pretty good. So look forward to that. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other. <laughs>